He's got a beautiful backswing. Dad, oh, he got all of that one. Oh my gosh, that is amazing! Lay up with an iron into the hazard. Well, that wasn't quite what I meant, you know. What is good, everybody? Welcome into the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. Sam Humphreys, Taylor Williams, Jim Woodward with you as always. And yes, it is the quote-unquote off-season in the game of professional golf. However... We do have golf tournaments to talk about, two big golf tournaments to talk about over the weekend. We'll get into those after the break. Stay tuned because we will be talking about the pro scratch going on out at Oak Tree National later on this week. We'll talk to the tournament chairman, Ryan Munson, the mayor of Oak Tree National, T-Dub and Woody I feel like we never talk to each other anymore, even though it's one time a week. It's not as often as when we're in the middle of major season. We had two big tournaments this weekend. Where do you guys want to start, T-Dub? Yeah, golf never sleeps, boys. That's one thing that I've learned throughout my time doing this podcast. We got to start down in Miami, don't we, down at Doral? That was a tremendous team golf event. I, I absolutely love how they end the season with live. It's a very new, it's a unique format, obviously. It takes a little bit of getting used to. The first two matches, the quarterfinals, semifinals are, are essentially match play, and then they have an alternate shot in there. And then in the final match, you have all four players playing, and every single score counts. So there could be an absolute lot of volatility. We were definitely rooting for the range goats and our man TG for their team to get it done. They ended up finishing at nine under two back of the guys that won the Crushers, but it's also good to see our man Charles Howe third be on the winning team on that team. Charles Howe shot an even par. Uh, Anabon Lahiri was the uh, MVP of that of their team, he shot seven under Bryson DeChambeau. His putter on the back nine was probably the, actually the real MVP, and he shot five under for the tournament. So, Woody, it was a pretty good showing for our two guys that are friends of the show, Charles and Taylor Gooch, and uh, it would have been nice if both of them could win, but it was nice to see the Crushers get it done. Well, at least they finished one, too. You know what? I Guys, I actually watched more of that golf tournament than any live golf tournament I've seen all year, besides Tulsa. Uh, I was more interested in Tulsa because it was home base, but I was really, I enjoyed watching Doral because I'd actually gotten to play it a number of times. And so it was fun to watch them play it and how they played it uh, compared to the way I used to play it, um, which is not even close because I didn't think about driving it over the 16th green um, like DeChambeau did. But I thought it was really, i tell you what, I know Liv doesn't get everybody fired up, but it was entertaining golf. I really enjoyed watching it. Uh, that's that's something that uh, you don't hear a lot of people say, but I thought it was pretty good entertainment. No doubt. I like the team event to end the season on Liv. If anyone around here knows what I do for a living, fellas, it's sports talk radio, not just golf talk radio. I obviously do the podcast and the radio show um, for golf during golf season or when majors are going on. But, fellas, we had football this weekend, playoff baseball this weekend, the Thunder about to start up here in Oklahoma City, so I was swamped. I only got to catch a little bit of this tournament, but what I did catch, it was a great product from what I saw. And so, fellas, let's start from the beginning. Uh, I think the 
big match that everyone wanted to talk about in that first day was Team Smash versus the High Flyers. You have Brooks Kepka going up against Phil Mickelson, and Kepka absolutely boat races Phil Mickelson in that singles match, six and four. But Phil's team, the High Flyers, do win against Smash because Tringali ends up beating Kokrak 2-1. and one. And then in the team match, the alternate shot match between Chase Kepka and Matthew Wolf and James Pyatt and Brendan Steele, uh, Brendan Steele and Pyatt end up winning one up in that one. So the High Flyers take that match. Then you had the Fireballs versus the Majestics. The Fireballs chose to play the Majestics. And uh, Sergio Garcia ends up losing... One down to Henrik Stinson, but Eugenia Lopez Chikara, former player of Oklahoma State, wins six and five over Sam Horsfield. Answer and Ortiz win four and two in the team match over Poulter and Westwood. In match three on that first day, you had the Cleeks versus Ripper GC, which obviously Ripper is the Australian squad with Cam Smith. Cam Smith did get the win for Ripper winning in 19 holes over Martin Keimer. However, Leishman and then Jones and Morgan in the team match both lost. Richard Bland beats Leishman four and three, and then Graham McDowell and Feastberger win in 21 holes over the other two Australians. So the cliques move on there. And then in the fourth match of the first day, you had Team Stinger headed up against the Iron Heads. And Stinger absolutely sweeps them. Oosthuizen wins five and three. Grace wins two and one. And Burmester and Charles Schwartzel win two and one. T-Dub, any thoughts on the first day of the team championship? Well, I alluded to it earlier. The Kepka Phil match was was a lot of people thought it would have been must-seen television and ended up being a really short match, six and four, just absolute ass-whooping that was put on there. But the High Flyers did get it done. Fireballs beat the Majestics. That wasn't anything uh, that was unexpected whatsoever. The ripper Cleeks match was pretty interesting. The mcdowell Weisberger ended up winning on the 21st hole over Jones and Morgan, so that was a little bit intriguing. And then Cam and Keimer went in the extra holes as well, Cam Smith winning on the 19th hole there. So there was a little bit... Of drama, where the drama really wasn't at it was the Stinger Ironheads match, Woody. I'll tell you what, those Ironheads, that might be one of the worst teams I've ever seen, not just in golf, but sports in general. <laughs> yeah, that that was what I saw. You know what I saw that those first matches is, first off, Mickelson, guys, I, he's past his prime. I'm sorry. You know, he he can't go head-to-head against, uh, you know, a Brooks Kepka or a Cam Smith or a, a Taylor Gooch. He's going to get killed, Okay. So, I mean, Phil's done his job. He did what he needed to do. He probably ought to really think about being a non-playing captain next year. Um, now, he won't do that, but it would have been interesting if he does. The guys that I saw in those first matches, what I saw is pretty much who's kind of ready for vacation or who is uh, kind of checked out. The Australian team was the one that really – stepped out to me those guys just looked like they were just kind of going through the motions so i knew they weren't going to be anybody to be uh, down the stretch um after watching the first day i was really ready to get the four top seeds playing because i knew those are the guys that were going to really want to play some golf these other matches just yeah that was kind of a boring day to me 
Absolutely. And we hit the nail right on the head when we talked about how big of a deal it was to get that buy in the first round. We saw that with Ripper GC, the Australian team that was pretty good all year, but unfortunately they had to play in the first round, unlike the Aces or the Crushers, Team Torquay or the Range Goats. And Ripper ends up losing in the first round. That's just kind of how golf goes, especially when you start talking about match play. So, fellas, let's move on to day two where we did see those top four teams and all top four teams ended up winning their matches against the the bottom four teams. So you had the Aces versus the High Flyers, Dustin Johnson's team versus Phil Mickelson's team, and DJ ends up winning two and one over Phil Mickelson. Phil had a tough, tough road this week having to play Brooks Kepka and then Dustin Johnson. He goes 0-2 versus both of those guys. And then you had uh, Patrick Reed actually lose to Cameron Tringali 4-3, but Pat Perez and Peter Uline end up winning 4-3 over Pyatt and Steele. So the Aces move on 2-1 in that team match. And then in match two, you had Team Crushers versus the cliques and Bryson DeChambeau absolutely dominates Martin Keimer four and three. Paul Casey absolutely dominates Richard Bland six and five. And then McDowell and Wiesberger did win three and two, but it was already over after the Crushers win both of their singles matches. They moved on. And then in match three, you had Team Torquay, probably the hottest team on live headed into this team event. You had Joaquin Neiman win two and one over Oosthuizen playing up against the Stingers, by the way. Neiman wins 2-1 and one over Oosthuizen, and then Sebastian Munoz boat races Brandon Gray 7-6, and six. and then David Pouge and Mito Pereira win two up over Schwartzel and Burmester. Solid year for Stinger, but they go down to Team Torquay in match three. In match four, we had our Range Goats going up against the Fireballs. Big-time match right there. Sergio's team versus Bubba's team. Sergio wins 4-3 and three over Bubba. But then you had the two Oklahoma State players playing against each other in Taylor Gooch and Eugenio Lopez-Chicara. And Taylor Gooch takes that one home, winning two up. And then in the team match, the alternate shot match, you had Harold Varner III and Thomas Peters playing against Ortiz and Answer. And Varner III and Peters win two and one. So the Range Goats end up moving on. Any thoughts on the second day of action? It went pretty chalk, fellas. Well, I agree with what Woody was saying earlier with the first day. Just really wasn't overall entertaining, at least comparatively. But this Saturday had a lot of drama. You had the, the Dustin Johnson-Phil Mickelson match, which at the end of the day was to have their team move on with Tringali surprisingly beating Reed 4-3, and three, but then the four aces, Perez and Uline, winning the alternate shot match. Uh, the DJ-Phil match was actually the three holes to go. DJ Birdie 16-17, and 17, then winning 2-1. and one. And then I had Crushers, Crushers, by far the better team would, were able to pull that off. And then, like we talked about, too, about getting the bye, for example. The Stinger, Team Stinger looks a lot more flat on Saturday than it did on Friday. So I think them having to play that first round was obviously their ultimate downfall. Because Team, Cor- Team Torquay looked and came out extremely fresh and was ready to roll and dominated almost every match from the start. And then the, the Range Goats fireball match was extremely entertaining as well. TG was actually the deciding factor. He was one down with three to play and wins his last three holes. Very, very clutch there. But something in this team, this team championship, Woody, I have a problem with is that they automatically pair each captain against each other. And I have a problem with that because 
TG, obviously the live player of the year, is by far the best player on the range. He should have been the one going against Sergio Garcia. I think that would have been a lot more entertaining match than Garcia going out and whooping Bubba's ass four and three. Totally agree. Totally agree. The, the best player on the teams, based on how they played all year, should play against each other. That should be that. And maybe they'll make that adjustment, T-Dub. I don't know. I hope they do. Um, I enjoyed that day much more than the first day, uh, Saturday meaning, it, because I, I like watching Taylor and Chikara play against each other. That was kind of fun to watch them go head-to-head. Uh, again, though, you can really tell that week uh, it, it's even coming more obvious come Saturday who those four teams were that were going to go against each other. So it was a little more exciting, but it, it made me look forward to the next day when we were going to have those four scores all count because that's when you really get to where you'd see, well, which team really has the best players. So I was excited about, yeah, we got Saturday done. Let's go on the next day. Let's go ahead and move on to that next day where – the format changes on the final day of the team championship. The Crushers, the Range Goats, Team Torquay, and the four Aces all battled it out in a stroke play format where you count all four scores from your team. And Team Crushers ends up winning the team championship at Trump Doral by shooting 11 under par combined score. Honorbon Lahiri led the team shooting 7 under par. Bryson shot 5 under. Charles Howell shot even. And Paul Casey only shot one over. That's pretty good. You can't have any player really make mistakes in this format, fellas, not dropping any scores. For instance, the four aces had two guys shoot over par. Dustin Johnson shot three over, and Pat Perez shot one over. Uline and Uline shoots three under, Reed shoots one under. That kind of shot themselves in the foot. They only shoot even par as a team. They finished fourth out of the four. The Range Goats finished second, only two shots behind Team Crushers. Uh, the Range Goats finish at nine under par. Bubba Watson shoots five under in that final day. Thomas Peters, two under. Taylor Gooch, two under. And Harold Varner, the third, even par. And then Team Torquay shoots six under. They ended up being five shots back of the Crushers at six under par. And Joaquin Neiman shoots six under. David Pooh shoots one under. But again, they had two guys that didn't shoot under par in Sebastian Munoz, who shot even, and Mito Pereira, who shot one over. Not much room for error, T-Dub, in this format. And the Crushers get it done. Uh, and I'm, I think you have the money right in front of you, T-Dub, that this meant something to those guys as far as a big paycheck to end your year. Oh, it 100% meant a lot to him. And the thing that you really know is that from top to bottom on these teams, with the amount of volatility that there is, and you're only playing one round of golf on a course like Doral, literally anything can happen. Even the announcers kept acting like, oh, the, the Crushers had it in the bag at a certain point. Even then, like, you have the 18th hole to play where literally anything could happen there. Bryson ends up bogeying it. The Crushers end up winning by two. They had about a four or five shot lead for an abundance of time. And really, to me, the, where the main difference came was the ability to putt. Obviously, Bryson's putter was on absolute fire. Made the bomb on 13 to part three. Next, uh, 15, after that, the part three makes another long putt. And then on 16, hits it so far long and left of the green, it's an absolute joke. And he can't take a good enough drop. So what does he do? He hits over the green and hits it there about 15 feet, then makes that putt. Whenever that one went in, I said, okay, it's just fate. 
at this point. Paul Casey ended up making a few putts, coming down a couple good par saves that helped him. And then even for the range goes, like our man TG, he burned so many lips, especially on that back nine. It was getting a little agonizing to see, and you could even tell the frustration in his face that was settling in. And then Thomas Peters, he missed a very short putt for par on his last hole, which ultimately was sealed the fate of the range goes at that point. But the money, very, very lucrative. For sure. The Crushers who won got $14 million. Range Goats who finished second got $8 million. For Team Torquay got $6 million. Uh, four Aces got $4 million. And then it goes down progressively from there. Stinger got $3.25 million. Uh, the Fireballs got $3 million. Cleeks got $2.75 million. So I don't know, Woody, that, that's quite a bit of money. Did, didn't you guys play for around that amount when you were out there playing? <laughs> yeah, that's funny. I like that. Um, I, I don't know that the whole year total for uh, money for the PGA Tour when I played was $50 million. Uh, it, uh, it might not have been. I'm not lying about that because a, a million-dollar event was a big deal in the early 90s. So this is another reason why the, this live is still getting people's attention. I think going forward, they're going to have to figure a way to get in those majors. They're going to have to figure a way to get uh, maybe a few more stars off the PGA Tour. Uh, but their year two is in the books, and it sure as heck doesn't look like they're going away to me, guys. I don't know about you all. I thought that was entertaining. It was a different type of golf. That's what's cool about live. whether it's the alternate shot, whether it's the four scores count on a team. Um, that It's just a different type of tour, and after two years, I don't think they're going away. It sure doesn't look like they're going away to me. I'd love to hear what you guys think. No, they're not going away. What I will say as far as this team event, fellas, is it happened way too late in the year. They shouldn't be going up against the NFL and college football in their last two days of the team event. They shouldn't be going up against playoff baseball or the NBA starting in a couple days. Fellas, they got to shorten the season, and you can't have the month gap before Live Chicago. You can't have that when you're out of sight, you're out of mind in the sports world. Get the season done. If I was even a live player, I wouldn't want to take a big fat break and then have to come back and play three more events. It ended up not being a big deal for a guy like Taylor Gooch, who you know goes on to win the championship. But it it, it was a massive deal for a guy like Cam Smith, who was in the lead uh, and ends up dropping out of the lead in that last tournament at Jeddah, as far as the individual championship, fellas, I don't like the big break. I think that that's one thing they have to change headed into next year. People's interest level, as far as fans, go down. That Liv, after Brooks Kepka wins the PGA, Liv was at an all-time high for them of interest. And all of a sudden, after big break after big break that they take – the interest level goes down, 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 and people have a lot more interest, especially here in America, uh, this time of year. I, I think you've got to shorten the season. I couldn't agree with you, Sam. It's just for live. it's hard to find a place where to fit it in that because you're co- you're going as competition with the four majors, and even live admits they're trying to build around those. You can't have your season ending around those. And then whenever it first started out, Liv was trying to coexist in the grand scheme of things. So it's like, well, do we need to finish our season the same time that the Tour Championship is? Okay, well, let's maybe do it a little bit later. Then, for example, like this year, we have the Ryder Cup. So then we can't be really having it finished around then. So then we have to try to push it later. In my opinion, you could go a little bit later into the year if you wanted to have some type of finish to maybe get a little bit off, off uh, maybe that much football. But at the same time, 
the DP World Tour Championship is in November, so you don't really want to compete against that either. So I think what happened, Woody, is they're just trying to fit it somewhere in the schedule to coexist with what else is going with the game of golf. But unfortunately for their own product, it does hurt them for sure. Well, we got, well, we all know, guys, that the, the, the fact that golf has actually gotten more popular than baseball is still impressive to me. Uh, it's only because baseball has just screwed themselves over time after time after time and still doing it. So they make it easy to pass them. You're never going to pass NFL football, college football, and NBA basketball. You're just not. And at least in America, you're not. Now, around the world, you might. But in America, you're not going to do it, okay? So, what do you got to do? And you're right. T-Dub, you're right. Sam, you're right. But there's only so many days that are available that you can put these golf tournaments in there. And when you have three major tours, which you do, the DP, the Live, and the PGA, it makes it pretty tough. At some point, you're going to almost have to go head-to-head against one of those tours. Now, if it's me, I'm going to go against the DP. I'm not going to go against, let's say, the PGA Tour or Major for sure. So, I don't know. I, I agree with you, Sam. I couldn't agree with you more because, you know, by this time of year, I'm getting out my duck hunting stuff. I'm, I Golf doesn't really interest me much. And football really interests more people so it's tough I, I don't know what the answer is guys so maybe we'll see something different in 2024 let's look forward to it and see what we have uh, unfold on all these tours no doubt about it and they're gonna still coexist at least in 2024 as separate entities um fellas let's go ahead and talk about the zozo first then we'll get to the news of the dp world tour and then hit a break and get to our man ryan munson The Zozo happened in Japan over this last weekend, and fellas, it was absolute domination from one Colin Morikawa winning the tournament by six shots over Eric Cole and Bo Hostler. Morikawa ends up finishing at 14 under par after shooting seven under on a tough final round. Big time play from Colin Morikawa. He got it done with the ball striking. Hit 83% of his greens in regulation. Uh, The only guy to do better than that in the golf tournament was Sungjae M, who hit 88.9% of his greens. Sungjae ends up finishing tied for 12th. But Colin Morikawa, seven under in that final round. Got some putts to fall. Big time win for him him over, like I said, Eric Cole and Bo Hostler. Fellas, Robbie Shelton was up there in the top five as well. I played a bunch of junior golf against him. Solid player. Finishes at seven under par along with a blast from the past. Yo Ishikawa or Rio Ishikawa, however you want to say it, also finishes at seven under par, tied for fourth place at the Zozo. It's good to see Colin Morikawa playing some better golf. He had a pretty disappointing year by his standards in 2023. It would be nice to see Colin Morikawa, who's probably fired up after watching Victor Hovland do what he did. Uh, He's probably fired up, and it would be nice to see Colin Morikawa play really, really elite golf consistently a little bit more than he did in 2023 uh, in 2024, T-Dub. About it, and he really won this tournament. You thought in the first round he would have won it by shooting a uh, 64 in, that, in the first round, but then he comes back and shoots a 73 in the second round to vault himself way down the leaderboard. And then on Saturday, or it would have been Friday night here, it was for the Saturday round. You're looking at this leaderboard, and you're like, man, 
this really isn't drawing a whole lot of attention for me. I don't I, usually I would like to stay up late night and watch a little bit of golf. There's a few big names, been and Morikawa was down there a little bit, but then on the the, on the final round on Sunday, Sunday there Saturday night here goes down and shoots a bogey three sixty three, absolutely beautiful golf. Shoots four under on the front nine and coasts in for a nice little three under on the back. Really no stress. End up winning the tournament by six shots. So and that for example that final round. The scores played about even par average, and he shoots seven under, so gained about more than seven shots on the field. Very, very impressive stuff there, buddy. And it just goes to show what I saw. He just made a look. He looked at so whenever you rotation, if you're hitting your irons good and you make a few putts, that's where more cow can be extremely little. Cool. Problem is, it's just so damn streaky. It's hard to prognosticate when it's going to happen. Well, that that's always going to be the question mark with more Kawa. Can he putt? Uh, we we know he can strike the ball as good as anybody. By far, he can strike the ball as good as anybody. But can he putt? We questioned for a long time, was uh, our buddy Victor ever going to learn to chip? Yeah, yeah, he is. He sure did, didn't he? And he's learned how to roll his rock pretty well, too. So I guess the caveat with Morikawa is you don't really, really need to worry much about his ball striking, except when he started thinking he wanted to draw it. What a moron. Jiminy Christmas. You hit every fade just the way you want, but no, let's go ahead and learn how to draw it and see how much better we can be. And that's when he kind of lost his ability even to hit good iron shots. But it looked like there at the Zozo, he went back to his patented fade and uh, obviously almost hit 90% of screens. Tells me that's working better for him. So 2024, that's going to be big for him. It gives him a little confidence boost to get a win because he's been almost two years since a win. So I think it's going to be a good year for him. But let's like we always do, guys, let's watch what he does with the putter, okay? No doubt about it. And let's not forget that this win at the Zozo does not count for the 2024 season. It still counts for the 2023 season. And Colin Morikawa right now is ranked 13th in the official world golf ranking, 6th on Data Golf. So obviously trending in the right direction. My one question that I wanted to ask you guys after Colin Morikawa gets this win is we're about to talk about Victor Hovland a lot next segment. Fellas, I think it's a pretty good question. The two guys who have been compared to each other since college, who has the better year in 2024? Is it Victor Hovland or is it Colin Morikawa? I would tend to say Victor Hovland because of the consistency. What are your thoughts, T-Dub? I tend to agree. I think I'm going to go with Victor Hovland just with how he finished the 2023 season as well, winning at uh, Olympia Fields and then also propelling us to, uh, the Europeans to a Ryder Cup. Been an absolutely tremendous season for him as well, and also winning the Tour Championship as well. Let's not forget that, the $18 million that he won. Let's go ahead and just count that and add that to his bank account. So, yeah, I'm going to go with him. Call more Kyle. I think he's going to have another good season for sure. He's, as we just alluded to, his ball striking is so superb, and he hits his driver so absolutely straight as well. Not one of the longer players out there. But hit so many fairways, always going to be in position to swing that, like Woody said, unless you're trying to hit a draw from that swing, which is absolutely crazy, it's not going to break down very often. So that's a very good thing for him. But Hovland, so rock solid. And it's really figured out his putter over the last, going all the way back to May. He only had one tournament where he lost strokes gain on the green. So Hovland, also another great ball striker. That would be the question you want to ask is, who do you think is a better ball striker, Hovland or Morikawa? I think it's going to be hard to find two guys anywhere in the world who you take over those two. I totally agree with that. But here's the question we have to ask, and this is the answer to your question, Sam. Victor Hovland is an OSU graduate. 
He's also an Oak Tree National member. That's right. Cullen Marcala lives in California. <laughs> I don't give it. I don't give a crap what you think. Who will? It's word pulling for Victor. I don't give a darn about Colin Morikawa. Well, you notice I called him Colin, Colin not Colin. Colin okay. Morikawa. Oh, Are you kidding stuff. me? We're not going to argue that. We're not going to argue that. Victor, Victor, <laughs> go Victor. That is good stuff. But Colin Morikawa's game is trending in the right direction, fellas. Um, real quick, before we get to this last bit of news, I do want to say congratulations. You mentioned Oklahoma State right there. We got to say big congratulations, like T Dub said earlier, to Charles Howell the third on getting the team championship with the Crushers. Obviously, uh, Taylor Gooch ends up winning the individual championship on Live as well, and then Victor Hovland wins the FedEx Cup on the PGA Tour. So. You got it completely covered. You have the individual champion on live. You have the team champion on live. And you have the FedEx Cup champion on the PGA Tour. All Oklahoma State graduates. Right, Woody? What are your thoughts on that? Like I was just arguing the point. Who cares about Colin? It's (laughs) pistols firing for a change. I know it's football season, but go Cowboys. Go Cowboys. Go Cowboys. And the football team's looking up a little bit, too, after the last couple of weeks. Woody, you should be fired up about that as well. We can get into that later on. Um, Fellas, last thing, pretty big news in the world of uh, scheduling in professional golf. The DP World Tour has announced that all PGA Tour players who finish in the top 126 through 200 on the FedEx Cup fall points list will be offered full status for the upcoming DP World Tour season. In order to protect current members, only five players per week are eligible to compete from the newly created Category 12. Note that leading 10 players from the 2023 race to Dubai, parentheses not otherwise exempt, earn PGA Tour cards for the 2024 season. Uh, Caveat here at the end, live players are not eligible. Uh, Fellas, the first thing, before we get to the live aspect of this, I think the first thing that this really brings attention to, and we had our man Tom from flushing it on the podcast a long time ago during the summer. If you haven't heard that, go back and listen. He's an awesome guy from England. And he was upset with the fact that the European Tour, now the DP World Tour, has turned into a feeder tour for the PGA Tour. T-Dub, this is just another step in that direction. The DP World Tour keeps going down, and it's almost like uh, the PGA Tour is almost abusing them ever since their alliance happened, T-Dub. My man Tom is 100% right on this. It's European Corn Fairy Tour is essentially what it is. So just to put it into perspective. You have 10 players from the DP World Tour. The best players are going to the PGA Tour the next year. And then the PGA Tour is sending their guys who do not qualify for the PGA Tour next year to go to the DP World Tour. Woody, if that's not the definition of a feeder tour, I do not know what is. I like you guys. This is good. This is so obvious it's stupid. So it's, it, it doesn't even bear us hardly talking about. That's exactly what this is. It says to the PGA Tour, hey, we feel bad that you didn't get in the top 125, but here, let me give you this bone, okay? Go play over there for a while, play good, and then you get to come back. 
But while we're doing that, we're going to steal your 10 best from the, from the DP tour and bring them to the PGA tour. Yeah. I mean, and what's sad guys is they make this sound like it's really a cool deal for the DP tour. It's not really a cool deal. It just makes them look like a lower form of a tour again. No, it really does. And fellas, we talked a lot, a lot of crap and really ripped Jay Monahan on his leadership of the PGA Tour. But what's getting lost in all this is how big of a moron Keith Pelly is. Not only did he sign the alliance with the PGA Tour to essentially make the DP World Tour, the European Tour, a feeder tour to the PGA Tour, which was a competitor of theirs, now, you're actually adding in the fact, because you signed that alliance with the PGA Tour, you're adding in the caveat that live players can't play, thus making your field strength worse. You're making your fields smaller and not as compelling. So, all of a sudden, you sign this great alliance with the PGA Tour, T-Dub, and all of a sudden, you have become the Corn Fairy Tour that's not even allowed to invite live players or live stars to come make your events better. You just completely screwed yourself. I have no idea what in the world Keith Pelly has been thinking. If there's one guy that's made more bad decisions than Jay Monahan, it's Keith Pelly. Well, what they did is, Sam, they tried to go for what they thought would be a good short-term and long-term solution. But unfortunately, the deal has, has essentially just been overall short term. They did it for the money. I believe the deal that they constructed was worth some lucrative amount of money, like nine figures worth or something like that, of money that they that the and you see for example like the Genesis Scottish Open now is technically a PGA tour event. So there are a handful of things that you could look at and say, okay, well maybe this merger is halfway decent. But no, you're absolutely right. They the PGA Tour has just been picking apart the D P World Tour and you, you whenever you see an alliance you think, okay, well we're gonna be kind of on the same page and we're gonna try to make the other one better. But no, what the PGA Tour has done and said, okay, your biggest event essentially, or one of your biggest events, the Scottish Open, which is the week before the British Open, where all the PGA Tour players go anyway. Well, let's just make that a PGA Tour event, so we'll take that from you, and then we'll take your ten best players, and just to make up for it, we'll give you our bottom seventy-five players, basically. So yeah, it's <laughs> I don't know, it's kind of a joke, and it was even more so back in the day. I remember growing up where you had all kinds of players that who would play just the DP World Tour, and not play the PGA Tour, and there may have been times where you would have liked them to play, but I kind of like the aspect of having just a handful of guys who are really good who would play over on the DP World Tour. So, yeah, it's kind of the, the European Tour is losing its luster, Woody, and it's really sad to see because even though it wasn't the best product in golf, it always had a good tradition of something that I respect. And that's what exactly what I wanted Woody to touch on. Woody, I wanted you to touch on the yeah. fact that even in the Ryder Cup, Robert McIntyre was the only full-time DP World yeah. Tour or European Tour player. It's literally become a feeder tour. Please tell the people who are our age that don't necessarily remember the European <laughs> Tour being as strong as it was, but it was a competitor to the PGA Tour. They had a bunch of really elite players that played a full schedule, right? Back in your time it, it, it actually started right at the, towards the end of when i actually quit playing for a living it, it was the late 90s when they started really becoming really good and basically you can tie it to the Ryder cup and whenever you saw the europeans starting to win the Ryder cup well guess what that's when the dp tour it was called the european tour at the time and nobody in america ever dreamed of going over there nobody played the european tour which is now the dp tour we didn't do it Okay, guys, we just, that didn't even, 
enter our minds because they didn't play for enough money and the travel was something we didn't understand. So yeah, at one time it was a really good competitor. I mean, Europe had their thing. We had our thing. So I think what you guys, what's funny, listen to it because T-Dub and you, Sam, you guys spell it out so simple. Even, even the basic, nobody knows anything about golf. When you guys listen to how you just explained what's going on, any fool can see what's happening. I mean, it really can. Probably what I understand might happen in 2024 is if you guys ever go to the Oklahoma City Zoo, there's a couple of orangutans there. They're really intelligent. <laughs> Rumor has it one's going to be the commissioner for the PGA Tour and one's going to be the commissioner for the uh, DP Tour because they can't do any worse, right? So we're going to have these two orangutans in position and nothing else people can chuckle at them just like they're doing these two morons that are running these two organizations. We'll have to talk about this later on. But, fellas, we are running out of time. We have to hit a break so we can get our man Ryan Munson on the show to talk about the pro scratch going on this week at Oak Tree National. Fellas, this is the 73rd Hole Podcast. If you are not already following the 73rd Hole Podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or if you're not listening to us on the Sports Animal app or GolfOklahoma.org, definitely make sure and go hit that follow button and download that WWLS, the Sports Animal app, 98.1 FM in Oklahoma City. We are on live every Sunday morning during golf season. This is the off season, fellas. So we will have great interviews, and we are going to have a great tournament out at Oak Tree this week. Coming up after the break, we will preview this with our man, Ryan Munson. Sam Humphreys, Taylor Williams, Jim Woodward with you as always on Oklahoma's leader in golf, the 73rd hole. Hey everyone, T-Dub here. I want to take a second to tell you about my good friends at McCray Roofing. Not too long ago, my roof was in desperate need of repair. There was extensive hail damage and I had many leaks that needed attention. Not only did Jeff and his staff build me a new roof, but they walked me through step-by-step of the claims process, which is something that I was very, very concerned about. Everything from the initial inspection of the roof to analyze all the damage to meeting with the insurance adjuster to make sure they were aware of every damaged area, making sure my claim was accurate. Their custom copper creations are truly beautiful and add a great touch to any roof. Not only do they do residential roofs, but they have an elite list of commercial customers, including Gallardia Country Club, Oak Tree National, and Bass Pro Shops. Check out their website at mccrayroofing.com to view some of their work yourself and give them a call at 405-692-4000. That's 405-692-4000. Back on the other side of the break on the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. Speaking of Golf Oklahoma, you can read an article on this very tournament that we're about to talk about. The Pro Scratch at Oak Tree National going on on October 26th and 27th. The presenting sponsor, Total Directional Services, other sponsors we'll get into, but we are having the tournament chair 
on the show today, the mayor of Oak Tree National, Ryan Munson, who put this tournament together. And let me just list some of the names that are in this tournament. You got Victor Hovland. You got Matthew Wolf. You got Charles Howell III. You got Austin Eckrow, Quake Cummins, Rian Gibson, Josh Creel, Michael Gellerman. We can go on down the list. I, I hate to start even listing guys, Ryan, because you got so many great professional golfers to commit to this tournament. Tournament. It's not open to the public, but it is awesome that you got this done. Uh, obviously, this was a big deal before COVID, and it hasn't happened over the last few years. Take us through, my first question is take us through the process of actually getting all of these massive names to commit to such a great tournament, Ryan. And thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. I think that uh, this became a passion project. I to be perfectly honest, I'm a golf geek. I mean, that's where it really starts, right? I, I was the kid in high school who stopped by the golf stores and loved hitting balls. I loved going out and, and putting. In fact, to that end, uh, one of the first memories I have of golf in Oklahoma, Woody, this involves you. Uh, I moved to Edmonds from Quantico, Virginia. Um, I was out there. My dad retired from the Marine Corps. Lots of people recognize Quantico from being where the FBI Academy is. Uh, silence of the Lambs reference. And anyway, so I, I moved to Edmond before my junior year. Uh, welcome to Golf Mecca, right? Edmond Memorial, which was the only high school at the time, had just come off seven straight state titles. Um, here we go. Let's learn how to play high school golf at a high level very fast. So anyway, one of my first memories is actually one of the things that got us access to Oak Tree Country Club was to work the Oklahoma Open. And, uh, Woody, you're going to have to correct me on the details a little bit because some of the memories are fuzzy, but um, I carried the standard, you know, back when the Oklahoma Open, we were walking around with standards of scores on them because people were out watching. Um, but I was carrying the standards for your group. You were leading the Oklahoma Open in the fall of 1994. And if I'm not wrong, you were battling it out with Willie and with Scott Verplank and with Bob Sway. I mean, it, this was a wild event. So I'm going to get to your question, but Woody, help me out. Who was in that Who was in that piece of the tournament there? Well, you know, back those days, you're right, Ryan. It, it was unbelievable. Um, I came close to winning the Oklahoma Open. I never could do it. Jim Kane beat me on a playoff hole from about 50 feet on number one. I still don't know how he made that one. Mark Hayes probably beat me the year you're talking about when 93, when I was coming off an injury and I thought I had that thing in my hands and then I played like crap the uh, third round. Uh, the Oklahoma Open was so special back in those days because you had that great amount of good players, tour mm. players, so to speak. That's why, Ryan, what you're doing is so impressive. Now, it helps to have the, the, the pedigree that we have out there right now at Oak Tree oh, National. Man which is incredible. When I walk out there on that range, guys, you know, I mean, I've, I've, I haven't seen that many good players since back in the late 80s, early 90s. So uh, kudos to you, buddy. But I, I'm glad that I'm a memory that got you into golf because usually when people talk about me and a memory, it doesn't have anything to do with golf. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, let's, let's get into it, though. I mean, obviously it was that generation that created – the reputation out at Oak Tree National, right? It was the, the Oak Tree gang. And I'm going to forget some guys for sure, but you're talking about Bob Tway and Scott Verplank and Willie Wood and, 
and you know Jim Woodward and um, Gil Morgan, Mark Hay, Danny Edwards, David Edwards. I'll help you, buddy, because uh, they were sick. It was awesome, and and even somebody who didn't live in Edmond, Oklahoma, I knew about it, right? And so you know, let's kick it forward to right now. We have, um, and I was really, I was thrilled to be a part of this project, but we put, you know, a bunch of brand new pictures on the wall because we have absolutely finally gotten back to a spot where, you know, Oak Tree National is a place where these not only up and coming, but established pros want to be. This is where they want to be. They want to be back home, you know, banging balls on that range, working on their short game on that short game area and playing that golf course. Because as, as everybody on this podcast knows, and probably most of the people listening, if you want to get better, Oak Tree National is an awesome place to do it. So, you know, right out of the gate, um, go back, kind of the genesis of this tournament. We're kind of tracing the origination of this tournament back to 2010. So it's not, not a terribly long way away, uh, but, but important nonetheless. And then fast forward to COVID, 2020. We had a really, we had a really pretty good field set up. Um, there was even the last second hope that Scotty Scheffler was going to show up. And this was pre-Scotty Scheffler. I mean, this was before Scotty Scheffler was Scotty Scheffler. He hadn't won the Masters. He hadn't become the best putter on earth um, at the time. But he was going to come play in the pro scratch. And then COVID rolls around and it gets canceled. And so, you know, I jokingly tell people, even though it's not a joke at all, I jokingly tell people that I – I would walk into the pro shop and every single time I walked in there for three years, I'd look at John Sandell and I'd say, okay, Johnny, when are we doing the pro scratch this year? I don't see it on the calendar. What are the dates? I did it for three years. And he was probably sick of it. He would laugh. And, you know, we'd joke about this, that, or the other. And then finally, about two months ago, we started building a list. And a close friend of mine, Seth Fry, who represents, you know, at, at Oak Tree National alongside Nathan Koshman and, and Tommy Maxwell represent total directional service. He said, we're going to put this back together. I don't know how it's going to be handled, but we're going to put this back together. We're just, we're just going to do it. And so we raised some money. I got about commitments from about 15 tour pros, which of course includes, you know, the local guys, Josh Creel, Rian Gibson, Austin Eckrode. Um, you know, the guys like Quade Cummins, Jonathan Brightwell, Zach Boshu, Jackson Ogle, you know, Cameron Myers, guys like that. They were like, hell yes, let's do it. Sorry, I don't know if I'm allowed to say hell yes on podcast, but I imagine. You can say anything you want, money. <laughs> so, so we get this list and organize a lunch um, with Rob Land, who, bless his heart, I mean, he, he kind of walked into the firestorm. He was fresh into his job at Oak Tree National, and now he's having to deal with me. But we sit down at lunch, and we're like, look, guys, we're doing the pro scratch. I don't know if we're doing it here or if we're doing it at Kitchen Bird or Quail Creek or wherever. We're doing the pro scratch. And they were like, you know, kind of the same standard fare. And I, I mean this with all loving heart. But it was like, all right, you know, let's take our time. Let's build it right. Let's do it in 2024. And we went, no, we're doing it this year. I'm telling you, it's going to be here. It's going to be somewhere else. I said, okay, well, let's take two weeks. Let's see if we can get some pros invested in this thing and raise some money. And we're like, okay, here's 16 pros, 25 grand. Are we good? <laughs> so that was the genesis. And then, you know, you spread it out. And I, I don't mean to hijack this, but I want to I jump into some thoughts here. Right out of the gate, 
Keith Myers is one of our uh, local members at Oak Tree National, and his uh, his brother-in-law is Charles Howell III. You get a guy like Charles Howell III to commit, and it's like, okay, we've got some credibility. You add Austin Eckroat and Taylor Moore, and at the time, um, and I want to give him all the love in the world, Taylor Gooch was committed uh, to play, and then we changed the date on him. And uh, he was already going to be across the pond um, in another way. So he couldn't join us. But I, I suspect Taylor Gooch is going to join us next time. Um, but then, again, to your point, Sam, can't read the whole list. Would love to. And we might just do it just for fun. Uh, but just sprinkle in your your Matthew Wolf. And then out of nowhere. Money, go, money, go the, ahead and read the whole list because this is right, unbelievable. This is the most glorified member guest I've ever seen. And somehow you guilted me into playing this to put a number up next to my name. I don't even play anymore. <laughs> I love this. All right. Can, can the podcast handle me to do this? All right. Let, let's find out. Let's do find it. out. Let's see, who, let's see who's invested in this because this is going to get long winded. And I, I love this. I, I want you to know that I want to spend some time talking about the sponsors because they were in freaking incredible and some of them just came out of the woodwork but let's do the let's do the list because i think what you're going to hear is like the united nations of golf we've got corn Ferry, we've got aspiring pro we've got live tour we've got full-blown pga tour we've got the fedex freaking cup champion all right let's do this so i'm just going to read it in the order that i have on this list uh charles howell the third what do we have to say 25 years on the pga tour never finished outside the top 75 Insane. Josh Creel, who's my partner, love the dude. Corn Ferry Tour winner, Austin Eckroat, give me a break. Rian Gibson, Tour winner, or Corn Ferry Tour winner this year. Uh, Taylor Moore, James Nitties. James Nitties is going to bring the women out. This guy is freaking beautiful. Don't you just love that? Um, Max McGreevy, local product, obviously a winner. Um, Scott Guchewski, Corn Ferry Tour winner this year. Paul Haley the second, Tom Whitney um, getting his PGA Tour card for the first time this year. Quade Cummins, uh, Jonathan Brightwell, Kevin Doherty, Zach Boshu. I mean, is this getting silly yet? Michael <laughs> you haven't Gellerman. even gotten to it yet. <laughs> Michael no, we Gellerman. We haven't even gotten there. Yeah, Michael Gellerman, also Corn Ferry Tour winner. Jackson Ogle, who we all just absolutely love. Logan McAllister, Luke Long, Tyson Reeder. Now. Keep your eyes out for Tyson Reader, boys and girls. Um, I, I don't know that anybody, I, and I've been around golf a long time. Woody, you've been around golf a long time. You know what the noise sounds like on the driving range. You know what commitment looks like. I, I don't want to get too long-winded on Tyson Reader, but this dude is in the gym. This dude is working on how to read putts. This dude is in the massage chair. He is getting it done. I expect big things out of Tyson Reader. Uh, Logan McCracken, Charlie Saxon, uh, by the way, Matthew Wolf, uh, one, of, one of the most uh, renowned dudes on the planet as far as uh, notoriety is concerned. Brandon Harkins, Corey Hale. You give Corey Hale a shout out. China Tour fame. Um, love this dude. I'm, I'm a little bit nervous that he's going to show up in a sport coat on the first tee because that's just what he's doing these days. Um, I love the lefty. Martin Flores, Cameron Myers. All right, now let's get into this one. Matt Mabry. Uh, this is My Sam Humphrey. <laughs> yeah. Sam, your partner. Let, let's get into the details. 31-year-old veteran 
just grinder, just got through first stage of Q school. It's one of the coolest stories you can possibly hear. Um, man, what I wouldn't give for him to get all the way through Q school. This is just going to be really fun to watch. Um, Sam Stevens. My goodness, Sam, blow up this year. Have a year, why don't you? Just come out of nowhere and have some big-time finishes. Um, all right, next one, Chris Goddard. This is – I hope Chris isn't going to listen to this because I'm going to say what you just can't say, but Chris is one of these can't-miss pros. Um, you know, I, I think you've got a few up-and-comers in the field that are, that are true can't-miss pros. Sam, help me come up with them, but I, I know that you've got Quaid. You got Austin you know, Eckrode. Yeah. I mean, you can well, go on down the list. Already made yeah, already made yeah, it. You don't even have to talk about Eckrode. He's already done it. But You're listing them off. Guys, I mean, there's a bunch of guys just with insane talent. And obviously, we had Chris on this, this very show last week. The guy is unbelievably talented. And the, the, yep. the main thing about all these guys that you're listing off as you're listing these guys off money is that they're all great guys, too. We all get along, which is rare. Oh. Uh, Okay, so let's take a timeout. Let's, let's talk about Chris Goddard up. Chris Goddard up hits it 400 yards off the tee, um, and he can hit short little tidy pitch shots. I mean, it's, it's nasty what this dude can do. Um, and now, that's the other thing, Woody, that's been around for 30 years, 40 years, is that the camaraderie is just insane. Golly, it's insane. People love being around each other. It, this is a show up any time of day and find a group kind of club. Hey, okay. Moving on, Gage Irig, Brady Schnell, Alistair Doherty, Andrew Beckler, Blaine Hale. There's your OU kid, another OU kid, Blaine Hale, playing with Kyle Huddleston, Oklahoma Open champion. Uh, yeah, when when you talk about when you talk about uh, potential, Blaine Hale is this year's Oklahoma champion, right? Oklahoma Open champion. That's right. That's correct. Yeah, and he's got Kyle Huddleston, who's like the six-time repeating Gallardia club champ or whatever he is, you know, finalist in the USGA four ball. He's probably only second to Ian Davis as far as it's concerned with the best am in the field. Um, we, we should look at that, myth, that that list. We got Ian Davis, Kyle Huddleston, and Danny Mitchell. Um, gigantic ams. I mean, these, these guys can really play. Uh, moving back to the pro list, past Blaine Hale. All right, you ready? Peter Uline. See any good? He's just Coming on fire, the most on fire guy on live the whole, what, two months to start the live season? Crazy. Great. I, I wish the guy would have had a little easier life growing up, but whatever it is, what it is, Peter, Peter is making the most of it. Uh, <laughs> for those of you that don't know, that's a joke. Uh, his dad basically represents the entire Kushnet brand, uh, which includes Titleist. Uh, it, it, it was good. His dad's done really, really well, and Peter has. Uh, blazed his own trail. It's beautiful. Uh, next on the list, Robert Streb, multiple-time PGA Tour winner. Um, Sam, I, you might take a second to talk about Robert. I, I think, you know, he might be proud of me saying this. He might be embarrassed by me saying this. But I think that there's a really strong evidence chain that Robert was underestimated at every single level. No doubt like about underestimated it. Underestimated in he, middle school, underestimated He basically started the Edmund North dynasty and then didn't get recruited by Oklahoma or Oklahoma State, which was ridiculous at the time. Goes to Kansas State, has an All-American type career, then makes the PGA Tour. And let me tell you a quick story on Robert Streb, very quick. 
that when I was in college in Kansas City, he played at a course called Wolf Creek. And at Wolf Creek, we qualified there one weekend, and I texted him any tips uh, you know, on, on the golf course. I have qualifying there tomorrow. He went through every hole and texted me a long-winded paragraph on every single hole how to play it. I made the tournament that week. That's the type of guy that Robert Streb is. Man, I tell you what, I have sent this text a couple of times. Uh, but it's very few, very few times I've sent this text. And once upon a time, I texted Robert out of one of his wins. And I think I, it, it might have been the win where he didn't even have a putter in his hand. He won with a wedge or something. I don't know what he was doing. He broke his putter and won with a wedge anyway. It just the, the dude's an insane <laughs> On the talent, PGA but, Tour, yes. Yeah, on the PGA Tour. Broke his putter, won with a wedge. Let's go. Um, but I texted Robert, and I literally said, thank you for letting me be a fan. I mean, try that on for size. That, that's the kind of dude that I think Robert is. I'm just, I'm proud to know him. I'm proud to be a fan of his. Um, I, I tell people all the time, and, and we're going to get to this guy in just a second, but I tell people all the time that there's one guy that it's just fun to be a fan of, and it's Victor Hovland. So you've got, I, I don't want to overlook it, but we've got Jared Strath in the field, and then, you know, rounding it all out, and I didn't do this on purpose, but the last guy on my list here is Victor Hovland, uh, fresh off a of FedEx Cup victory. If you've ever been around the dude, the smile that you see on his face on the golf course on TV is exactly the same damn smile you see when you're in person with him. Phenomenal how easy it is to be a fan of this kid. And look, we could have spent the whole time here talking about Vic. It's easy to talk about Vic. He's all over the news, but he deserves it. He has absolutely earned it. Um, I don't know if you guys have – got to be perfectly honest. I don't, I don't know what kind of video and pictures and stuff you guys put on the site, but I have a, a video of, of, quite frankly, me chugging beers out of his FedEx cup because he brought it to the clubhouse. <laughs> nice. That's I mean, beautiful. how often do you get a chance to see the FedEx Cup, much less drink beers out of it? I was definitely doing that. Uh, but on the, on the side of the video, it's just Vic laughing his ass off. He thought it was hilarious. <laughs> um, and, of course, you know, as an aside, as the unofficial official tournament chairman of the 2023 Oak Tree National Pro Scratch Invitational, yours truly had to pair himself with Vic and Ian. I noticed that. I noticed that. Yes, Victor Hovland, one of the most down-to-earth guys on the planet as far as superstars, and that's exactly what he is. T-Dub, go ahead. Uh, I was just sitting there just soaking that all in. I am. But the thing I'm most pissed off about is I can't watch this on TV. I would. I think this would be absolute must-watch television. But my question for you, Ryan, is I can tell just from speaking with you that you have a tremendous appreciation for the history of golf, especially the history of golf in this state. Whenever we go 10, 15, 20 years down the line and we look back on this field that was the 2023 Oak Tree National Pro Scratch, how do you think that we'll view this field when it comes to historical proportions? What a question. Yeah, and, and I, you kind of made – I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pump you up a little bit. I, uh, you kind of made the hair on the back of my neck stand up a little bit. You know, I've, got, <laughs> I've got half a Weller's down, okay, so I'm in that – that nice little, I was dehydrated. I didn't drink enough water today. I got half a Weller's down. I'm, I'm into that neat little piece of a buzz. And then you ask me a question like that. And I'm looking at a list like this. And I've got my emotional connection to this field. Um, I don't know how long this podcast is going to go, but I could get started. All right. So 
right out of the gate, I, the first thing my mind just, or my eyeballs just went to a spot on my little spreadsheet here. And I've got, my eyeballs went right to Dustin Wigington. Okay. Dustin is the amateur playing with Logan McCracken. Dustin is like one of the sweetest swingers I've ever seen in my life. And he's playing as an am. This field is off the chart. I, Sam, here in a minute, don't do it to me now. Cause I'm going to get on a roll here in a sec, but I want you to talk about your high school team. And then there was a golf team at Oklahoma state that included Kevin Tway that, you know, when you're talking about six man getting division one money, that's what we're talking about here. When it comes to hit and giggle, I would suspect most of the people listening to this podcast are familiar with the idea of a hit and giggle. Um, hopefully we've got some people listening that, you know, really quite frankly aren't lifelong golf nerds like us that aren't familiar with a hit and giggle. But a hit and giggle is basically the idea that we're going to run a member guest. You're going to show up. You're going to drink some beers. We're going to have breakfast, lunch, and dinner. There's going to accidentally be some serious golf that gets played. That's where we are. Right. That's exactly right. No, that's exactly right. right. And you, I mean, you could go on and on about the high school team and OSU and everything. I mean, the, just the love. I think it all comes back down to the love and passion for the game of golf in the state of Oklahoma. And you, you assembled literally all the best players in the state of Oklahoma. Something that maybe only you could do, money. Uh, I, I don't, I don't want to take too much credit here, but 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 bring it on, Sam. Let's bring this credit to me, baby. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> this was a massive group effort. I, I want to make sure that I get a chance to talk about the guys in the shop. I want to talk about the sponsors. But let's let's dig in just a little bit, all right? You've got arguably the hottest player on the planet in Victor Hovland. This bitch hadn't missed a fairway since he was in the eighth grade. <laughs> it's absolutely ridiculous <laughs> what he is doing. You have Charles Howell III, who might be – the blueprint for professional golf didn't finish outside the top 20, top 75 for over 20 years. Jimmy, Woody, how much would you have loved to have a PGA tour, that, a career that included not finishing outside the top 75 for 20 freaking years? 20 well, it would have been real. Hey, it'd been really good for me, Ryan, because then I would have gotten into that Tiger money. And I, I let me tell you something, I wouldn't be doing a podcast right now. And T Dub, how much money did Charles Howe the third make on Sunday? Uh, the Cursors made fourteen million. So to divide that by four, you're looking at what is that? Three point five million each. <laughs> yeah, he's how still good. doing it. How good? And he's still doing it. I mean, this dude is the blueprint. And I'm going to tell you right now, you can call this big statement Tuesday or whatever this is. I I don't know what day you're going to release this podcast. So let's. Let's pretend that I didn't say Tuesday. What a big statement, whatever day this is. Austin Eckroat, big statement Tuesday. Austin Eckroat is the blueprint. He is the next version of Charles Howell III. But uh, I'm going to say it right now. He's going to get more W. Austin Eckroat's going to be on tour for decades, and he's going to get more W. Mark it down. He's just unbelievably talented. You know, obviously my high school teammate, I've talked about Austin Eckert numerous times on this show that from the time he was 10 years old, he was the most talented guy and he has been doubted kind of like Robert Streb, but on a, a little bit higher level that he's been doubted at 
all times of his career, and now he's on the PGA Tour. And guess what he does? He just goes out in the U.S. Open and uh, fires a record back nine on the final round of the U.S. Open. That's the type of player that he is, kind of being Uh. overshadowed by guys like Victor Hovland and Matthew Wolf in college. He is going to be a superstar, I guarantee you. Sam, I, I could not possibly agree more. Austin's going to be a superstar, but I but I want to I want to dive into one. C Dub, I, I want to get into your question, and I and I think that you know you've got some unbelievably cool stories. The first time card members got Guchevsky's in the field. This is his fifth time to get his tour card. This some bitch is my age, right? He's got a. He's got a freshman. He's got a senior in high school who's going to be a freshman in college next year who's getting recruited by colleges. Chad Guchevsky is getting his scorecard for fifth year. It's just a radical story. But I want to dive into one. Okay, one guy. And I get it. He's a good friend of mine. Um, you know, I've got a little homerism here. But I suspect that none of you are going to debate me at all. I've known this dude since he was in college. And by the way, he showed up to the United States sight unseen. How are we doing? Right? He shows up to the United States sight unseen to play college golf for Oklahoma Christian University. Goes on to be a four-time, I don't even know what division they are, four-time NAIA All-American at Oklahoma Christian. And it's Rian Gibson. Now, don't give me don't one skip second. over the fact that he has the coolest record of all time that you were able to see oh. in person. Munson, by the way, oh, was able to see this in person. Let's let's hit this real fast. So in golly, I can't believe I don't. I'm, I'm going to get the Google machine going because I can't believe I don't know the year this was. But 2012, in, Ryan. 2012. All right, there you I go. I was in college when it happened. April of 2012. <clears throat> let's tell the story because this is podcast, right? Woody, are you still awake? <laughs> I barely. I mean, we're getting close to Woody's bedtime here. I'm sorry. You really are. <laughs> okay, so April something, 2012, uh, we were all out at River Oak uh, Golf Club, which is here in Edmond, Oklahoma. And yeah, perfectly frank with you, this is a golf course that is gettable, but it's also a residential course, which features out of bounds on almost every single hole. So rarely do you get through a round where um, you don't have some penalty strokes. Okay, so let's start there. We had a group that played every Wednesday and every Saturday like clockwork. We'd have anywhere from a dozen to 20 dudes that show up. We'd throw balls in the air, and that's how we created the group. Right? So it, was, it, it wasn't a ridiculous money game, but it was fun, and it was some good dudes. So we show up. Not true. Saturday morning rolls around. It had thunderstorms all night the night before on Friday. And I get a text from, from Rian, from Gibbo, that says, are we still going to do this? And I said, come on, dude, let's go. But okay, so we get there. The driving range is closed. They're doing split tees. We start on 10. And um, without hitting a ball, Rian proceeds to shoot 16 under for a 55 at River Oaks Golf Club. Again, kind of unbeknownst to us, um, after some research, we discovered pretty quickly that this was a, a world record. This had never been done before. The lowest round in the history of golf, Rian Gibson. Yeah. Yeah, we're talking about Tiger Woods and Jack Nicklaus and 
hell, Tommy Armour the third. It, name any pro you want. Jim Woodward. Jim Woodward's never shot 55 as far as I know because I think we'd know about it if he did. Yeah, I did, but I quit on 16. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So, so there we are. We finish. And uh, and I, I the punchline that I tell from the story all the time is that Rian was so nervous that he birdied the last three holes. You know, we finished this round. I, I got a chance to watch it. I shot 69, got beat by two touchdowns and two extra points. Uh, there was no bet on earth that I was going to succeed in with this 55. But, but Rian Gibson is the guy that shot 55. It's in the Guinness Book of World Records. Um, and I, and I'm going to make the, I'm going to make the argument to all of you. And this is going to give him massive problems the next time he's around the boys, uh, because they're going to be hunting. But, uh, Rian's the most talented golfer I've ever been around, period. Um, I, you guys have all, all been around the driving range. You've all been around the golf course. You all know what I'm talking about. There, there are two times when I heard the noise. One was Jason Day hitting four irons. Uh, Jason Day was on the driving range at, uh, where, where did Y.E. Yang win? The PGA where he beat Tiger? That was Tiger's team. Okay, so we're at Hazeltine, and, and kind of backstory, uh, I was a part of a group that that got Folds of Honor up and running and, and, and rolling. Major Dan Rooney, now Lieutenant Colonel Dan Rooney, was the driving force, obviously, behind the Folds of Honor and Patriot Golf Day and all that kind of stuff. Um, I kind of pigtailed onto that. Um, another guy, Bob Harstad, who's his brother-in-law and I, the three of us kind of uh, pushed forward really hard on this project. And now they've, they've just exploded, and Folds of Honor is a giant thing. But anyway, we did our board meetings at the PGA Championship every year because the PGA of America was a massive supporter. Shout out to the PGA of America. Uh, shout out to the USGA. Shout out to all of the you know 20,000 PGA of America members out there. Anyway, uh, I'm going to get sidetracked in, in my reminiscing, but I was coming up over the hill at the at the driving range at Hazeltine, and I hear this noise, and it's different than anything I've ever heard. And I get over the crest of this hill, and it's Jason Day hitting four irons. Okay, period. That was it. Fast forward to C-Dub, get your history machine out. Again, I should know this, but Rian Gibson qualifies for the British Open. This is a great story, by the way. Boy, I, talk about hijacking a podcast. I'm really sorry. You guys told me I had 10 minutes. I'm going to take an hour, but um, here we go. So, Rian Gibson qualifies for the British Open. And, and can I tell the whole story? Sam, can I tell the whole story? Go ahead. Go ahead. So, Friday night, Rian's got, I don't know, 12 feet, 15 feet. It's a double breaking putt that ends up to be straight on the 36th hole. Friday night. The last group on Friday night. Can I emphasize that enough? He's the last group. We are in the grandstand at uh, Hoylake, Royal Liverpool. And we are the last group. There's nobody else in the grandstand. The grandstands. It's Rian and two other nobodies. Doesn't even matter. Rian's got 12 feet, double breaking, drains it to make the cut. Huge moment. I've got a great video of this too, by the way. Uh, make the cut. Later that night, we're in the cellar bar, which is where we sang karaoke and ate pizza every night during the British Open. And we're doing the math. And we're like, pal, you're going to play with Jordan Spieth tomorrow. And it's kind of one of those, it's a moment of resignation. Because you know the cameras are all over you. 
right? Just imagine the idea of playing a Saturday with Jordan Speed. I don't care if you're the last group or not. 20 minutes later, we get a notification. Rian gets a notification. They're sending text messages out. Notification that they're going to go threesome for the first time in the history of the British Open. They're going to go threesomes, and they're going to go reverse horseshoe to try to dodge weather. Okay. For the non-golfers out there, reverse horseshoe basically means that you're not going to go standard two times. You're going to kind of more or less go off one and ten to get everybody on the golf course at the same time. It's not a shotgun start, but it kind of acts that way with tee time. Anyway, Sam, T-Dub, Woody, now we're really doing the math. And the math says, Rian's going to play with Tiger and Speed. <laughs> Just an unbelievable group. And you right. got to be there right up close and personal to those guys. Sam, it's worse than that. Because of the way the horseshoe works, he's the very last group off 10 on Sunday at the Open Championship. So on the driving range is now Sergio Garcia, Rory McIlroy, who won the tournament, Tiger Woods, Jason Day, I think it was Hideki Matsuyama, and Rian Gibson. I can't remember the fifth. It was some other monster name, and Rian's going to yell at me because I should know them. But these are the last six guys on the driving range. So I told you that I heard Jason Day make the noise, right? And honestly, I heard Ben Crenshaw make the noise also, but it was on the putting green. And I still can't believe the noise was made on the putting green. It just doesn't make any sense to me that somebody could make a noise with a putter hitting six-footers that was so obvious that it made me turn my head. But nonetheless, Jason Day, Ben Crenshaw, and now I'm watching Tiger Woods hit range balls as he's about to pair up with Rian Gibson in this final group off 10. And Tiger hits like 50 shots to end his range session. It's 25 pure push draws to the 150-meter sign and 25 full cut to the – to the 150 meter sign. All right, so there's the story. That's it. That's it. Tiger Woods, and this was post Tiger Woods. This was after Tiger Woods wasn't even Tiger Woods anymore, right? He's just, he's still a version of himself, but he's not the world beater that he was. He still made the noise. Okay, so let's get back to it. So the point of all this was to say, um, Rian's going to get beat up from this on the, on the driving range the next time we see him. But Rian's the most talented person, top to bottom. I've ever seen on the golf course and I've had unbelievable access to golf, like really, really awesome access to golf as a putter, as a short game artist, which this son of a bitch is these Aussies, the Aussies might as well be lefties. You know, lefties are always good at short games. The Aussies might as well be lefties. You got Cam Smith, obviously uh, best short game in the world, but Rian is damn close. His irons are precise, and he's a tremendous driver of the golf ball. Okay, so I'm going to throw that big statement to you guys. I want to hear a response, but Rian's the most talented golfer I've ever seen top to bottom, period. That's a big statement considering you were on the range with him and Tiger and everybody. I mean, Rian is unbelievably talented, one of the best guys out there. 
No doubt about it. Money, I got to say this, you know, we, we're going to have to put you on a segment here on the 73rd Hole podcast. That was unbelievable stuff from you. We, we're running out of time today, so I want you to do two things for me. I want you to first talk about the golf course changes at Oak Tree National and how it's going to play this week, and then to get out of here, uh, shout out the sponsors and everyone that helped you make this happen at Oak Tree National. Yeah, thank you all so very much for this time. Thank you for, uh, you know, again, putting a little diesel on this fire. Um, I, I am so excited to get this tournament underway. And it obviously cannot be done. I, I want to start kind of from the top. Zach London is the superintendent at Oak Tree National. And I got to tell you, Woody, Woody, you can fight me on this. You can go back a little deeper than I can. It's the best I've ever seen it. These new greens are insane. Uh, the, the fairways are so darn good. This golf course is absolutely ripe for a tournament. You know, they've got another major coming up in 2027. So shout out to the, to the greens crew. They are killing it. Uh, Tom Jones, Rob Land, John Sandell, Brandon Blue, uh, Austin Rivette, you know, Mick. Gino, the, the staff in the shop, the King boys, my goodness, what we could not possibly think about doing without the Oak Tree National staff. They are just destroying this right now, and I cannot wait to see them show off this week. Um, but I also want to, you know, big shout out to the sponsors, okay? Total Directional Services, again, represented by a few of our members, uh, Seth Fry, Nathan Koshman, who owns the business. He's just an absolute stud. Tommy Maxwell, professional hockey player extraordinaire. Dude doesn't have a neck. We call him Brahmi Maxwell. He looks like a Brahma bull. Okay. Um, Fort Smith Medical, who's represented by John Hart. Love the dude. This dude's been an absolute doer, big-time help. Wilson Auto Family. I don't know if you guys have ever heard about this Aaron Wilson guy, but they've sold more Escalades than any dealer in the country. Period. Killing it. Um Swag Golf, close pal of mine, uh, Scott Tridel is a, a huge representative of Scott uh, of Swag Golf. They do head covers and putters, and they're just killing it. And of course, uh, Simple Modern, a local group that's uh, well, hell, this is after the tournament, so they'll know. Uh, they're doing some custom jugs, and they kind of just showed up and said, "We're doing it, no matter what." But if I've forgotten anybody, I promise I did not do it with intent. Um, I cannot thank everybody enough. We're going to get started on the 2024 version of this right away. But for 60 days uh, and a shoestring, man, this is going to be fun. Munson, congratulations on putting all of this together. I cannot wait for it. I can't wait to get out there and just have the camaraderie with all the guys and especially my partner, Matt Mabry. Definitely looking forward to it. I do want to give the floor to T-Dub and then to Woody. Uh, any final thoughts on everything? Just the pro scratch, Munson, Oak Tree, all the great players. It was one of those things where, fellas, we were going to interview Munson about this tournament, but when you start really breaking it down, fellas, this is just a list of all of the greatness that comes from the state of Oklahoma in the game of golf and really why this podcast is so popular because we do have so many great players in the game in this state. Here, here. Yeah, there's absolutely no doubt about it. Just from top to bottom, how loaded this field is. And just like Sam said, it embodies 
what Oklahoma golf is ever since, even before I was going up playing golf, just how lush of tradition that Oklahoma has and what he can attest to it as well. It's truly a beautiful thing to see. And Sam, I truly hope that you have fun out there because I know that you've been working hard on your golf game. And that's not something that you do at, at this time of your life. No, no. I, I literally, Munson, you made me revitalize my golf game. I literally didn't touch a club for about, I don't know, six months. But then when you basically guilted me into playing in this thing and said, Matt needs a partner. <laughs> he was your college teammate, right? Uh, I was like, all right, I'm going to practice and, and do the best for Mabes. Uh, Woody, any final thoughts on, on all the great stories that were told today? Well, but first off, he, just the simple fact that he's rejuvenated this. I'm I'm really, really excited for him. I will tell you this, Sam. We almost had another team if if my partner hadn't been busy uh, uh, touring with a group called the Eagles uh, because Ryan did come <laughs> to me and try to get me to get Vince and me to play in that. And at first off, I wasn't going to play unless he let me play from the green tees. And even then, I was going to get my ass worn out, so I wasn't going to play. <laughs> but we were going to try to get Vince back in here and do a little entertainment for you guys one night. So it really could have gone even to a next level. I will tell you this. The best thing you'll have this week, guys, when you're playing, this is, you know this, Ryan, you know this, Sam, your food. I'm going to promise you that Gino McNeely will roll out the dog. You guys are going to eat better than anybody should eat the next few days during that tournament. I'm very envious of that. That was the only reason why I wanted to play, just see what Gino would feed me. So good luck. Ryan, I'm proud as punch of you. Way to get this thing going again, and let's keep it going. I think it'll be fun. Well, I was just going to say, Woody, promise me this. We are doing uh... – we're doing cookout style, so we're doing steak dinner Wednesday night, and we're doing a shrimp boil Thursday night. If wow. any of you boys can make it, please do. <laughs> we're going to kick this off at 6 p.m. Let's go. Absolutely. Yeah, well, you're going to eat well. I know that. I can't yeah. wait. Gino is the absolute goat. Munson, I've never had a guest on this show that deserves a segment more than you, so why don't you just take us out of here on the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. Hey, boys. Thanks for listening. Let's get out of here. I can't thank you enough for your support of Oklahoma Golf and this podcast. Have a great week.